Sefer Vayikra, Parshat Bahar, on the Sabbath for the land. At this point of the Torah, we've learned a good bit about the need for Shabbat. But at the beginning of Parshat Bahar, the concept gets taken to an entirely new level. God tells Moshe, speak to the Israelite people and say to them, when you enter the land that I assign to you, the land shall observe a Sabbath of the land. Six years you may sow your field and six years you may prune your vineyard and gather in the yield. But in the seventh year, the land shall have a Sabbath of complete rest, a Sabbath of the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest or, grow, or gather the grapes of your untrimmed vines. It shall be a year of complete rest for the land. Not only do we need a Sabbath, it turns out, but so does the earth. Rav Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev, the Kedushat Levi, relayed a teaching from the Kabbalistic, the Kabbalist Rabbi Isaac Luria, that before the Shabbat for the people was commanded in the Torah, Moshe pleaded with Pharaoh for a Sabbath for the Israelite slaves, and that only later did Shabbat become not just a humane policy, but a Torah commandment, something that brought the people closer to God. The Kedushas Levi added that it is the same with the land. We must periodically release the land from its enslavement to us. Just as Shabbos brings us closer to God, the Shabbat for the land elevates the earth's purpose back to its creator. He taught, The land which had served man during the preceding six years, having been at man's disposal, will take out a year and revert to being at God's disposal. On a practical level, though, we know that Shemitah is good for the land and good for its workers, and that it reminds us that our lives are not measured merely through what profit we can wring out of the world. And yet, it's not clear at all how this is supposed to be practiced in our time, in the diaspora. Halakhically, it's not required for the land to lie fallow outside of the land of Israel. Within Israel, we see several approaches being taken by different groups. One is called nochri, allowing Gentiles to work the land during this one year out of seven, but not Jews. Another option is hetermachira, the practice of temporarily selling your land so you don't have to work it, while still being able to keep your parnasa, your uh, livelihood, due to the sale. An additional way around the financial challenge of Shemitah is Otsar Beitin, selling your land to a rabbinic court, much like how Hillel, for Tikkun HaOlam, allowed the transfer of debts to a rabbinic court during the Shemitah year. Another practice is growing produce above ground in this time, thus allowing the land to rest. And perhaps the least loophole-based strategy of all is to purchase produce from outside of the land of Israel, like from Egypt. That would be called in the marketplace Mitzrayim. In all of these approaches, we see that various costs and benefits are weighed in the observance of the Shabbat for the land. Owners want to be able to keep their livelihood, and so do the workers. But we know from the Torah that both the people and the land need time off. And so we're in a fascinating place right now in the development of halakha and practice, in which it's not clear what history will decide is the right way to observe the Shemitah. The question becomes, what value do we want to prioritize? Is the value environmental? Must we truly let the land rest? Is the greater value economic justice, giving workers a way to work, to value interfaith collaboration, for Jews and Arabs to develop interdependence? Should we prioritize the rest of the worker, 
instituting a sabbatical for not only the land, but the people? What a vibrant time it is to live religiously in Israel today, for these laws to come alive again as we wrestle with the various Jewish values that come into play. We should not see the loophole-like options as necessarily subverting the Torah commandments. Instead, we should view them as being in the tradition of Hillel, which shows that what's beautiful about the Talmudic enterprise is that it adapts and modifies from the biblical basis. Our growth and evolution, all while we stay rooted in values, shows that the Jewish tradition is living, adapting to the justice needs of the time. There's no conflict between taking Torah seriously and keeping our finger on the pulse of the needs of the world. And the Zionist dream at its best is about reawakening this values discourse of what we're trying to do collectively. That doesn't mean we have to be unified at this point in time. We can embrace a pluralism of different approaches that different communities take. And perhaps we can trust the Jewish tradition to let the best ones win out. But what about for those of us who don't live in the land of Israel? What do we make of the commandment of Shemitah? For one thing, we have the luxury of not having a literal imperative that comes from the Sabbath of the land. We don't need to consider temporarily giving up our livelihood. This opens up a freedom to consider other ways to embrace the spirit of the law. I believe we should be inspired to generate a national discourse around the value of workers and natural resources. We should have humility inspired within us to see the biblical value of letting go of control and trusting that things will be okay, even if we're not taking every dollar we can out of the earth. Once a person manages to let go, they can be more in touch with who they truly are. DJ Didana, founder of the Sabbatical Project, wrote, our research, our research suggests that sabbatical takers arrive at these changes by progressing through three steps, healing, exploring, and reintegrating. In the process of leaving their professional identities behind, sabbatical takers tend to explore and experiment. The people we interviewed traveled to new places, read and wrote books, proposed to their partners, and tackled physical feats, climbing mountains or thriving during uninterrupted time with their families. We can recognize that all people, like in the Torah, should have a safety net enabling them to take a year off when needed. People not only need medical leave, parental leave, and retirement, but also some version of sabbatical rejuvenation. The Torah we find is deeply countercultural, in a world that tells us, like Pharaoh, that the people in the land are there for the economic benefit of the powerful. The Torah tells us that, actually, our ultimate purpose is a higher one. Friends, now we're going to talk about Parshat Bechukotai, since it's a double Parsha, on the topic of the blessing of rain. Parshat Bechukotai, which means by my laws, begins with God declaring, if you follow my laws and faithfully observe my commandments, I will grant your rains in their season, so that the earth shall yield its produce and the trees of the field their fruit. This verse sets the stakes of the Torah. As understood in its time, if we obey God's commands, we'll receive the blessing of rain. 
something absolutely critical for the survival of an ancient agricultural society. God goes on to explain, your threshing shall overtake the vintage, and your vintage shall overtake the sowing, and you, you shall eat your fill of bread and dwell securely in your land. There's almost nothing as, as important for the Israelites to receive from God as rain. And this notion of rain as a reward is elaborated on in the book of Deuteronomy, in a section quoted in the second paragraph of the Shema. If then you obey the commandments that I enjoin upon you this day, loving the Lord your God and serving God through all your heart and soul, I will grant the rain for your land in season, the early rain and the late. You shall gather in your new grain and wine and oil. I will also provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and thus you shall eat your fill. Take care not to be lured away to serve other gods and bow to them. For the Lord's anger will flare up against you, shutting up the skies so that there will be no rain, and the ground will not yield its produce, and you will soon perish from the good land that the Lord is assigning to you. Elsewhere in our prayers, in the Amidah, we traditionally recite in the winter, Bless on our behalf, O Lord our God, this year and all its kinds of crops for the good, and give dew and rain for a blessing on the face of the earth, and satisfy us from your bounty and bless our year like the best years. However, we've long known that the weather often isn't actually a reflection of divine justice, at least in the last two millennia. In the Midrash, the rabbis are seen begging God for the rain that must surely come as the result of their righteousness. It says in Genesis Rabbah, in the days of Rabbi Tanhuma, the people were in need of a fast to encourage God to make it rain. They came to him and said, Rabbi, declare a fast. One day, two days, three days passed, but no rain fell. He came and taught them, my sons, fill yourselves with compassion for another, and God will be filled with compassion for you. While they were out distributing charity among the poor, they noticed a man giving money to their to his divorcee. They came to Rabbi Tanhuma and declared, Rabbi, why are we sitting here when sin is out there? He inquired, what, what was it that you saw? They replied, we saw so-and-so giving money to his divorcee. He summoned the couple and placed them before the crowd. He asked, what is she to you? He replied, she's my divorcee. He said, then why did you give her money? He said, Rabbi, I saw that she was in dire straits and I was filled with compassion for her. At that point, Rabbi Tanhuma turned his face heavenward and said, Master of the universe, if this man who was not obliged to provide alimony for his divorcee saw that she was in distress and was filled with compassion, you about whom it is written that you are merciful and compassionate, and moreover, we are the children of your beloved Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, how much more so should you have mercy on us? Immediately the rains began to fall and the world became saturated. Here we see the Jewish tradition shifting away from the more black and white statements of the Torah. It's not simply that there will or will not be rain based on the letter of the law performance of mitzvot, but that an extraordinary act of compassion can also bring about blessings from heaven. As we've seen the Jewish tradition shift away from seeing rain as purely a divine reward and punishment, we see a few different theological views we can take on rain today. For one, we can follow in the footsteps of Moshe, seeing rain not just as a result of following the Torah, but also as the blessing of Torah itself. 
Near the conclusion of Deuteronomy in the Song of Moses, Moshe's final speech, Moses says of the Torah, May my discourse come down as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, let showers on young growth like droplets on the grass. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs of Blessed Memory explained Moshe's words here. The Torah is compared to rain precisely to emphasize that its most important effect is to make each of us grow into what we could become. And yet, we cannot ignore the divine importance of literal rain from the sky. We can certainly still pray for the rain and embrace the mystery of the phenomenon of drought and fertility. But today, we're also given the understanding that just as nature influences us, we influence nature. We influence nature not just with our fast, our good deeds, or observance of mitzvot, but also with the choices we make as citizens of the world. According to the Natural Resources Defense Council, while droughts occur naturally, human activities such as water use and management can exacerbate dry conditions. Developing nations are particularly vulnerable to the impacts of climate change, including drought. More than 80% of drought-induced economic damage and loss suffered by developing nations from 2005 to 2015 was related to livestock, crops, and fisheries. Friends, we are living, of course, in a time of increased human responsibility. While God might not directly cause harvests and famines, we, as partners with the creator of the world, are tasked with taking part in the miracle of making sure people get the rain and water they need. This is maybe of even greater seriousness than the role God gives the Israelites in the Torah. Shabbat Shalom.